for tuning in to the Revival Tabernacle Podcast. Wherever you may be listening from, we hope that this message encourages you in the unwavering, unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Join us as we reach sinners, raise believers, and release leaders. Please enjoy the message from the RT Pulpit. Amen. Uh, Today we kick off a new sermon series for the next three weeks just before YK Sunday. I'm excited about it. It's, It's entitled Fresh Start. Fresh Start. Somebody say Fresh Start. How many people could use a fresh start in different areas of your lives? Amen, amen, amen. I'm included. I'm in that boat as well. I, uh, we heard from a few folks on the screen, Sister Stella and Mother Lorraine and different ones, Sister Lena, um, about where they wanted to kind of have a fresh start in or what area in their life they want to have a fresh start in. Um, I want to just kind of talk a little bit about some. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19. The book of Acts chapter 3. Do I have, is, is my clicker, oh, somebody, somebody's on me. It's okay. It's all good. Thank you. I was asking my clicker, but they got me. They're going to hold me down. You're going to roll with me, Daniel. God bless you, my man. All right, thank you. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. I don't want to go to it just yet. I don't, I don't want to go to it just yet, so kind of take it off the screen. Let, let me ask a question. Look up here at me. How many of, of us have made resolutions this year? You, you've already made resolutions this year. Um, that's good. That's good. I mean, mostly everybody approaches uh, the year with different resolutions. Um, so, I, you know, we kind of do things that kind of become tradition. And a lot of times we don't really know what the real meaning of those things are. So I wanted to know, what is a New Year's resolution? And, uh, and so I began to kind of do some digging, and I found out that a New Year's resolution is in which a person resolves, watch this, they resolve to change an undesired trait or behavior. An undesired trait or behavior. That's what a New Year's resolution is. So then I begin to wonder, what are the top New Year's resolutions in the world? And this is interesting. Go to the slide where I have the top 10 New Year's resolutions in the world, Dang, I think it's maybe number three if we have it. Yeah, okay. So here it is, the first one. How many know, how many people ever made the resolution to lose weight and to get fit? I mean, for Christmas, you started asking for Fitbits. You started asking for running shoes because you wanted to get in shape and and be fit in the new year. Some people said number two was to quit smoking. Uh, Number three, learn something new. People are buying Rosetta Stones by the millions because they want to learn a new language or or they want to become better in do-it-yourself. So they got, you know, all these tools from Home Depot because they want to get better at fixing things around the house that their wife tells them to fix around the house, like take care of that, that, that broken toilet seat. I'm not talking to anybody in here. I'm just talking to myself. This is what I've heard, so I need to kind of get on the ball. Uh, Eat healthier and diet. Eat healthier and diet. Get out of debt. How many people have made resolutions to get out of debt before? Amen. Amen. And save money. You know, they have these different things on the internet. You know, every week you can put this much money away and at the end of the year you'll have $2,000 saved. How many people would like to have $2,000 saved by the end of the year? And then they have all these different things. Uh, Spend more time with family. Travel to new places with number seven. Be less stressed. How many want to be less stressed in 2017? I know that's right. I, I know, you know, you know, I need to bring the t-shirts back out. Too blessed to be 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. Some, number nine was to volunteer more. And number 10 was to drink less. People want to drink less. Amen. Then I began, and th- th- this was too many to even have on the screen, but then I began to wonder, what were the top 10 resolutions for Christians around the world? Listen to what it says. Number one, resolve to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. That's a good one, isn't it? Number two, resolve to not let anything, career, significant other, social media, a house, become the object of our worship. Resolve to watch your language, not speaking destructive talk, especially involving the name of God. Hmm. Resolve to prevent burnout by putting aside work one day a week. That's a good one. Resolve to talk to your parents on a regular basis and show them love and respect. Resolve to be angry less. Resolve to honor your commitment to your spouse, whether in thought or deed. Stay pure and loyal in the union that God has made. Hello, somebody. Number eight, resolve to not take anything that's not yours, including stuff that you can hold and put in your pocket. And plenty that, and plenty that you can't take, uh, like music downloads, streaming movies, and hours on your time card. Number nine, resolve to speak about others only with truth and love, not gossip. We've said it before, there's a fine line between intercession and gossip. Intercession is when you talk to God about man. Gossip is when you talk to man about man. Hello, somebody. We need to be more intercessory-minded than gossip-minded. And then number 10, resolve to be content with what you have and not worry about, that, uh, uh, about what others are amassing. Anybody know that to be right in this place? But I would contend that while all those things are good, that they neglected to mention a very important factor that one must do if they really want to have a successful, fresh start in this new year. You know what it is? This is going to shock y'all. Lean in. Come on, let me tell you. Repent. Repent. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. Repent. Let's say that word together. Repent. Come on, come on. Let's say it together one more time. Repent. Mario, you need to put this on Snap. This is a major key. You know, Mario is always on Instagram talking about this is a major key. You know, so Mario, you got to put this. This is a major key in, in the life of every believer. To repent. Repentance is a major key. If you really want to be successful in your fresh start, let me tell you something. You have to repent. I was prepared to walk in here this morning not to get a whole lot of amens, Brother Ken, because this is a message that gets a whole lot of amens, so I'm all right with that today. So let's look at Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says this, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come 
from the presence of the Lord. One more time. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So what is repentance? What is repentance? Well, I say I, I, there, are, there are a number of, of uh, statements on what repentance is. I like to just kind of give you these few. Thomas Adams, he's this Puritan theologian. Here's what he says about repentance. Listen to this. There is no other fortification against the judgment of God but repentance. His forces be invisible, invincible, not repelled with sword and target. No fortress can keep them out. There is nothing in the world that can encounter them except repentance. Did y'all get that? Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about repentance. He says, sin and hell are married unless repentance proclaims the divorce. I like that. This is what else Charles Spurgeon said. I, I, I thought this was incredible. He says, a Christian must never leave off repenting, for I fear he never leaves off sinning. True repentance is absolutely essential for each and every believer. It's absolutely essential. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are, how long you've been in the way, or if you just got saved. Let me tell you something, my brothers and sisters. It is your responsibility to repent before God. Apostle John states this in 1 John 1 and 9. He says that if we confess our sins, Lord, I feel like preaching this thing today. I'm going to try to keep myself contained. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Watch this. Watch this. This was good. The very first message of Jesus in his words, in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, what does he say? He comes out the gate talking, repent and believe the gospel. I mean, the very first words of Jesus, that's what he came out saying, repent and believe the gospel, recorded there in Mark 1 and 15. And the very first message of John the Baptist recorded in Matthew 3 and 2 are, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. If the New Testament opens up with this. Why in the world have we stopped preaching this? Why in the world have our churches shunned away from talking and dealing about sin and the fact that we as believers must repent of our sins? I think it's because we sometimes get into our little habits and we begin thinking that, 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 that we don't have Sins to repent of because I've been bought by the blood. I'm the righteousness of God. Yes, you are, but guess what? You still got to repent. Because the Bible says that all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. Amen? I believe that as we discuss the truth of the word of God, a heartfelt repentance will come one of two ways. 
One of two ways. Number one, by the word, according to Acts 2.37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And then number two, not only by the word, but also by the spirit. For Acts 10 and 44 begins to tell us, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, all those who were listening to the message. So if I were just to kind of, I, I, I was doing some reading and I came across something that I thought was just incredible uh, from Thomas Watson. And, and he began to, to describe something that I kind of want to kind of re, rename and just kind of share with you some things. And I, and I titled this message, Ingredients for a Repentant Heart. Ingredients for a Repentant Heart. Ingredients for a Repentant Heart heart. Since we're talking about things being fresh, I automatically start thinking about fresh ingredients, you know. McDonald's, they don't use fresh ingredients, at least that's what Wendy says. You know, Wendy's, they say they use fresh ingredients. So I wanted to kind of talk about some of these ingredients for a repentant heart. Let me just jump right into it. I promise I won't be long. I think the first ingredient that is key for a repentant heart is the sight of sin. The sight of sin. What do you mean? Let me tell you. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 17. You know Luke, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you get to John, you've gone too far. Just back it up a little bit and stop right there. Luke chapter 15, verse 17. If you don't have your Bible, we have it right here on the screen. And it says, it says this. And when he came to himself, <laughs> he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough, to spare, bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Let's just stop at that very first part. And when he came to himself. See, I believe that before a man can come to Christ, he must first come to himself. See, see, uh, there's probably, there are so many things we can kind of point to about this, but I remember hearing this actually from Pastor Tim years ago, and, and, and this story stuck with me. Stuck with me so much to where, I mean, I, I downloaded it, and I, I mean, I, I, I kept it. And I just, I, I want to share it with you today. It's a story about a man by the name of Pietro Bandinelli. Pietro Bandinelli. Listen to this. The great artist Leonardo da Vinci spent many years at the end of the 15th century painting his masterpiece, The Last Supper. How many people have a copy of The Last Supper hanging in your house? Or maybe it was in your mama's house or grandmama's house. Y'all know what I'm talking about, though, the Last Supper. Don't, don't, don't look at me strange. Don't look at me funny. You know what I'm talking about, the Last Supper. Da Vinci painted this back in the 15th century. The most difficult part, listen to this, the most difficult part uh, 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 was finding models for each of the 13 faces. One Sunday morning at Mass, Da Vinci saw a young man in church, in the church choir named Pietro Bandinelli who looked exactly like his vision of how Christ should appear. Watch this. 
for his features suggested love, tenderness, innocence, and compassion. The young man agreed to sit for da Vinci and to let his faith be used as the model for Christ. Almost 10 years went by, but da Vinci hadn't finished the painting because he couldn't find the right model for Judas. He wanted someone whose face was marked by despair, wickedness, greed, and sin. Finally, he saw a man in prison whose face was a perfect model for Jesus. And arrangements were made for him to be da Vinci's model. However, as the days passed and the prisoners saw the painting progressing, he became increasingly horrified and upset. So finally, da Vinci asked him, what's troubling you so much? The prisoner began sobbing and weeping uncontrollably and then finally blurted out, don't you remember me? When da Vinci said no, the convent began to explain, I am Pietro Bandinelli. Years ago, I was the model for Jesus. This once innocent young man had given himself over completely to a life of, uh, of sin and crime, despising the things that he once loved and turning his back on Christ. And the results could actually be seen in his face. Talk about the deceitfulness of sin. It will change your very countenance if you're not careful. And so we have a responsibility to make sure that we have the sight of sin in our perspective. That's why I believe that, the, that, 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 that one of the first reasons why God made light in the, in the creation as the first thing is because sin must first be seen before it is wept for. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God continues to bring to light my sin issue. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God continues to show me the error of my ways. Because I could go on like so many others have gone on thinking that I was right. But thanks be unto God that he shows me where I'm wrong and he helps me correct myself. Not only must the first ingredient be the sight of sin, but I, but I, but I believe the second ingredient is sorrow for sin. Sorrow for sin. Godly sorrow is first inward. When you sin against God, you should hurt on the inside knowing that you've displeased the Father. Matthew 6 and 16 begins to warn us. This is Jesus talking. He says, and when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces uh, to show others that they are fasting. And that day, fasting was as, what was done as a sign of, of being sorrow. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it would not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. I believe that God can bring about sorrow for sin. Only God can bring about sorrow for sin. 
I think that God troubling the soul for sin is like the angel who troubled the pool in John chapter 5 and 4, which made the way for healing. When we look at this in John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, For an angel of the Lord went down to a certain, went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. For whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease in which they were afflicted. And let me tell you, just like that, when, when you begin to respond to God troubling your soul from sin that you have committed, when you step in and begin to repent, he will heal you from your sin-sick soul. Only God can do this. Godly sorrow. Listen to this and watch this real clear. Godly sorrow uh, is, is about being sorry for the offense, not the punishment. It's not because you got caught, but it's because you offended God. Listen to what David began to say in Psalms 51 and 3. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Notice what, now we know what this was from. This was at the time when David had sinned with Bathsheba and, 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 and the son, the baby that, that, that they had conceived together was put to death. Notice what David did not say. He did not say that uh, your sword is ever before me. He said, my sin is ever before me. Because it's not the punishment that is the focus. It is the offense that we cause to grieve the Father's heart that should be the focus. How many people in this place have children? Okay. You've probably experienced the same thing I've experienced when I've had to reprimand my six-year-old daughter for something that she did wrong that she knew she had no business doing. It's one thing when, when she knows that she's displeased me or her mother, but it's a whole other thing when I tell her that she's going to get a spanking. Then the tears begin to get intensified. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me in this place. And we know that to be true about a whole lot of other people who find themselves just because they got exposed or because they got caught, guess what? Then the tears begin to get intensified and they begin to, to weep and to mourn and to sorrow over what, not because of what they had done, but because of the punishment that was impeding upon them. We have to be sorry for the offense because we've hurt God's heart. Let me give you this last one because I'll probably end up splitting this up into a couple of weeks. I'll, I'll revisit the back three next week. But not only are the ingredients for a repentant heart sight of sin, sorrow for sin, but I think the last one that we're going to explore today is the confession of sin. The confession of sin. Confession is powerful. Confession, I don't know who made or who stated this quote, but I thought that it was really good. It says, confession of sin shuts the mouth of hell and opens the gate of paradise. 
Because see, confession is, you know what confession really is? Confession is self-accusing. And it prevents Satan from accusing. <laughs> the Bible says that Satan is what? The accuser of the brethren. You know how it was in the story of Job. He, he, he began to go before God day and night, accusing the brethren and bringing before God the various things that people had done wrong. And, 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 and it's a wonderful thing that when we confess our sins unto God, we shut the mouth of the enemy. He has nothing on us when we begin to, to confess our faults unto God. As a matter of fact, the Bible even says in uh, um, 1 Corinthians 11 and 31, watch what it says. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. It's voluntary. Look at the prodigal son. The prodigal son charged himself before the father charged him. And not only is it voluntary, but it itemizes sin. See, we got to be careful about lessening sin. There is no sin rank chart. Sin is sin. Well, let me talk to this side because y'all still acting funny. I don't know y'all. Y'all stuck in 2016. Sin is sin. There's no lesser sin. I don't know. You know, I ain't, you know, you know, you know, the world has changed, so God is accepting of this. No, 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 no. Sin is sin. And there is a difference between giving an excuse for our sin and confessing our sins. See, some of us feel that our sins are justified in some cases. Oh, Lord, help me in this place. There is no, well, God knows what I'm going through, so he understands why I had to do this. No, 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 no. Repent. Confess your faults to the Lord. And let me tell you this. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. You got to call it out. Itemize those things. There is no wholesale forgiveness or pardon of sins with God. Y'all not going to like me today. I'm not talking about the things that you may have forgotten. Yeah, God will forgive. God, forgive me for things that I knew that I did and I start to call those things up, but even for the things, God, that I may not remember, God, forgive me. But I'm talking about those things that you know you did wrong and you continue to just go on with life as though there's nothing separating you from the Father. We must confess our sins with a heart that is resolved or that is resolute not to act them out again. Here's the problem. Many people would rather have their sins covered than cured. Most of us view grace like this credit card 
with an unlimited balance. Lord, help me in this place. And that as long as we got our grace card, we can go on sin and do whatever we want to do. So we continue to commit fornication because we got our grace card. We continue to commit adultery because we got our grace card. We continue to gossip because grace card. We commit, we continue to commit offenses because, hey, my grace card. We continue to act out in, in anger or get drunk or use drugs all because we have our grace card. Grace card, grace card, grace card. But, but, but do you remember what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 6? Let's bring that up. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by the baptism unto death. That like as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. Hello somebody. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. How many people in this place have been freed from sin? Put those hands together and give God some praise. John, we talked about it earlier, but John, 1 John, the Apostle John, he begins to declare and pick this up. Listen to this. 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's just break that down for a minute. He will forgive because he is just. In other words, he has bound himself to the promise of forgiving us. But we shouldn't take it for granted and abuse the privilege and, 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 and disregard the redemptive work that Jesus has done on Calvary's cross. You know, anytime you want to begin doing something new, sometimes it takes you to clean up where you are right now. Um, it's hard to cook in a dirty kitchen. How many people have tried to start preparing stuff and the stuff from yes, you know, last evening is in the way from what you're trying to do present day. 
And I, and I believe that's what happens in the spirit realm. It's like we're trying to move forward in the things of God. You know, I don't know what the new slogan is for 2017, but I'm sure they got them out there. You know, I don't know what it is, but let me tell you something. If you start out doing whatever it is that's in your heart and in your mind to want to do for 2017, but you've still left some unfinished business from 2016, let me tell you something. You got to deal with that before you try to move forward in new things. Because those old things will constantly be... What is this? This is those chains that come to bind you. It is the, the thought of what it is that you did that don't nobody know what I did last summer. Oh, yes, they do know what you did last summer. We have to take time and deal with what's been undealt with before we move forward in the things of God. I'm going to stop right there. Everybody stand to your feet. And I want to make a very, very clear call today. If you're in this place and you know, let me tell you something. I know, what is this? January, what's today's date? The 8th? I, I, I know it's the 8th. Eight days into the new year and you thought you were on your way. Yeah, you're on your way. But you know what? We're going to correct some things right here today. If you're in this place today, and you know there are some areas of your life that you left unattended to before. And before you move on into the greatness that God has called you to, I'm here to tell you it's time to deal with the old stuff and get it reconciled unto God. Repent, confess your faults unto him, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive you. And he will forgive you. He will pardon your sin. And he will show you how you should move forward in the things of him. But if you're in this place today under the sound of my voice and you know there are some things that you need to get taken care of that you have not taken care of before you begin to move forward in the things of him, for 2017, I want you to make your way down to this altar right now. Don't think about anyone else around you, what people may be thinking about you. You need to make sure that you get things right with God now. at Revival Tabernacle aims to reach our city and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus. Thank you for your support. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at www.revivaltab.org.